Very good. Well, good afternoon, and uh, we're really excited to be here with you today. For those of you that I don't have the opportunity to know, my name is David Liggett, and uh, I am with Data Center Hawk. Uh, really excited to get to be here at DCD Dallas, and thanks for coming, despite the uh, challenging weather yesterday. Uh, but this is DCD does uh, some great events. They've got really rich content with with great industry. Uh, expertise and leaders that have been in the space for a long, long time, and this panel is a great example of that. Uh, today we are talking about, uh, and our title of our panel today, is the sale leaseback the final destination, demystifying the infrastructure ownership model of tomorrow, which I really think speaks to uh, the evolution of the data center user and the changes that have taken place over the last five to ten years, and, uh, and we'll get into that. But before we begin, I want to uh, introduce our uh, speakers today who will add uh, some tremendous value to the conversation and also talk about, you know, not just the sale leaseback, but some of the other uh, strategic steps that data center users are taking today with their infrastructure. Because uh, as many of you are obviously in this uh, room, maybe it's from a data center operator perspective, perhaps it's from a vendor perspective, perhaps it's from the investment side of things, or perhaps you're an end user uh, it certainly is clear that uh, change is upon us in our space today. And so we're going to get to that in just a minute. But I'm going to introduce our team. This is uh, Abner Papachado. Abner is the Chief Executive Officer of Server Farm, a data center owner and operator with over six uh, data centers, uh, uh, and those are international as well. Uh, and he's been investing in the, the real estate, uh, not just the data center space, but the, the real estate industry for over 30 years. And he is also a pilot, which is quite impressive. So Abner, we're, we're thankful you're here. Uh, Jonathan Schildkraut is the Chief Strategy Officer with uh, Cyrus One, and his team focuses on new investments, M&A activity, uh, and joint venture agreements. And one of the things I thought that was really interesting about Jonathan, when he uh, right when he hit the ground running at Cyrus One, his team was uh, responsible for uh, the Zinium acquisition in Europe. So that I'm sure kept him very busy, and he's been obviously very busy uh, since. Prior to his time at Cyrus One, uh, he was a senior analyst in the communications infrastructure and telecom space. Uh, with companies like Guggenheim, Partners, Evercore, and Jefferies. So, Jonathan, thanks for being here. Good to see you. Uh, and this is Anubhav Raj, uh, Chief Financial Officer with Aligned Energy and is responsible for the company's financial and operations strategy. Uh, before Aligned, Raj worked as Senior Vice President with Tier REIT, overseeing their capital markets and, and financial perspectives for the organization. Uh, prior to that, uh, he was with Cyrus One as Treasurer, helping the company uh, raise only $3.5 billion in capital during his tenure. So he was a little busy as well, but Raj, we're glad you're here. So uh, I'm really excited about this time we're going to spend together. We're going to talk for around 20 or 25 minutes. Uh, we've got some great questions to dive into. And then if you do have questions that you'd like to ask this team, I'd just ask if you'll hold off until the end. We'll have about five or ten minutes to answer those questions. So be thinking of those during the discussion, and then we'll have some time to, to do that. Uh, and I think one of the reasons, too, that I'm excited about this discussion is because we've got over 75 years of combined you know, data center industry leadership experience sitting at this table. Um, and it's really from a strategic perspective, from a financial perspective, from a leadership side of things. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to get to jump in the, into the discussion. And, and what I wanted to do uh, before we started from a question standpoint is... You know, we're talking about the sale leaseback, so companies essentially owning and operating their own infrastructure, and what do they do with that infrastructure when they realize their strategy has changed? So before we get into the details of that, um, and Raj, since you're sitting here, I'll pick on you first. What do companies value most today 
uh, when you know they're thinking about their data center infrastructure and how has that changed over time? I'd love to hear from all of you on this. Perfect. So I think it does depend a little bit on who the end customer is, um, what, how they've evolved over time. But there's been what I say from my seat as an operator um, of data centers for really multi-tenant environments. Um, there's been the evolution where more comfort with outsourcing in mm -hmm. general. And that's really shown its hand um, with how the different type of sale leaseback structures have evolved. If you look at some of those opportunities, call it 20 years ago or 15 years ago that were um, there, it was only triple net um, kind of pure sale leaseback where the end customer is still the one operating it, uh, regardless of if they're only utilizing 5% of the actual load they put in, uh, they still want to be operating it. They're not going to give that up. But over time, um, as there's been the comfort, uh, you really only care about the reliabilities, table stakes, they trust that. Um, and you have more experienced operators where they're willing to allow others to operate the infrastructure on their behalf as long as they're getting the reliability. Sure. Abner, from your perspective, how have you seen data center user needs change over time? I think uh, we all have to realize that this is a very young business. <laughs> uh, as far as real estate goes, I mean, this is a business that basically existed, you know, for probably 30 years, and out of those 30 years, 20 are active. I, I guess I'm getting old enough to, to remember around 99 that uh, we saw, you know, I had an office building actually here in Dallas. I used to live here. It's a great place to be from. Um, and we had an office building, and somebody came and wanted to lease space, didn't ask for any TIs, <laughs> and we fell in love right away. Um, they were building a switch, and, and we looked at it and we said, what is this thing that they're doing? Why are they doing this? The, the, the Telecommunication um, uh, Act just came in where people were competing with local exchange carriers, mm -hmm. building CLEX and so forth, trying to figure out who they are, what they're doing. So there was this new thing called the Internet coming along. <laughs> Seems to be have something to it. And, and this is 98. This is not that long ago mm -hmm. in, in my world, maybe. You know, uh, at that time, so I bought another building in Dallas thinking I learned something new and uh, I, I got lucky and, and leased it to AT&T. But at, some, at that time, customers had to own everything because there was just no choice. If you wanted to be in a technology business, you just had to do it. There was nobody to lease to from. You wanted to put a... a a building out, you want to put server somewhere, you had to build it, and then, then came capacity planning. How much do I need? And you go now and, and really buy a capital asset that is, that is a long-term asset, a lot of money driven by IT. Mm -hmm. So IT wants to run applications, and, and it goes to the CFO, the, the CIO, or whatever he was then, goes to the, to, um, the CFO and say, I, wanna, I, I need to put some server somewhere. Said server somewhere. We have don't we have buildings? No, it needs to be dedicated cooling, mm -hmm. this that and the other. Oh, you need real estate. Talk to real estate. Talk to facilities. So they talk among themselves, trying to figure out how the deal is going to get done. One guy thinks in two-year increments because mm -hmm. he's because he's a guy that does 
application. The other guy wants to say, hey, what do you need for 15 years? I say, what do you mean 15 years? I have this one application I'm trying to run. So they bought this data center, was, you know, you need. Then he goes to his friends in CBRE and Cushman and Wakefield and all, all that stuff. It's a, I'm, I'm only saying all this to, to say that it's a, data centers are a multidisciplinary acquisition act. It's a lot of people that speak very, very, very different languages. One is IT, wants to run application. Facilities is another guy. They have to talk to the CFO. For all these guys to, to talk together and speak the same yeah. language in a big corporation never really happens. And there's all kinds of CYAs going around and, and going forward. And we're only 20 years yeah, into it. Yep. We're 20 years into it. So right now, they figure they don't want to own it. But they still haven't given it up. Most mm -hmm. of the time, they want to run some of it. They don't want to run some. Everybody's got a, a cloud uh, initiatives. Everybody wants the world as a service, like big capital, two little A's and an S, like the alphabet, two little A's and an S, mm -hmm. uh, changing the world. Um, everything is a service. Everything get me something. So this is just the beginning sure. of the change from I have to do everything to I really don't want to do nothing and I want it all to work and I don't want anybody to break into my stuff. Yeah. So we're somewhere in the second inning of this. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, been yeah, there's been a major maturing process going on. I like that you pointed out that the industry is still very young. Uh, Jonathan, from your perspective, you know, sitting in the seat that you did before Cyrus One, uh, studying the industry and then being, you know, now in the provider seat, how have you seen user needs change? Well, you know, um, First of all, uh, David, thanks for having me on your panel. It's always a pleasure. Um, and I thought what these guys pointed out was absolutely correct in terms of the customer's willingness and acceptance of a third-party data center provider uh, ecosystem. So that's been tremendous. But you know, as you and I have talked about, the role of the data center operator has changed so much over the last 10, 15 years. Um, you go back and whether it was a build your own sort of time frame or the early days of, of the third party data center industry and our data centers served as you and I have discussed in the past as the destination for our customers IT um, and we had to build a fortress for these different customers and over time what we've seen is that uh, the vast majority of secular growth right now comes from customers that are not using our data centers as the destination for their IT, but in fact are using, and I saw you lifted my language, which I very much appreciated by the way, but they're using our data centers as part of a global logistical fabric for delivering their service to yet another end user customer. And the enterprise customers that come in, yes, they're gonna store some of their IT with us, but they're really relying on us to get them to the other critical resources they need to be successful from an IT perspective. You know, all of this stuff really adds up um, to the question that we're looking at right here on this panel, which is, you know, when does a sale leaseback make sense uh, for the end user and for the operator? Uh, and I think that, you know, Abner really pointed out some great situations about why people would initially invest the type of capital they did in building their own assets. And when you sort of flash forward to today, um, I think the market has changed a tremendous amount, and which maybe make the question ripe and, and really make the conversation ripe for today, which is to say 
there are a number of elements that go into why an enterprise would insource or outsource. And, and for a long time, the CapEx equation around data center ownership has been really upside down. Um, but there are a lot of reasons, accounting and otherwise, why that CapEx equation might not be sort of the impetus for changing the approach that an enterprise has to their IT. Um, but what we're starting to really see are two other factors converge with the CapEx equation, which are sort of driving enterprises to outsource more and really making the sale leaseback question more relevant. The second is um, around OPEX, which is to say that what we are seeing is not a wholesale lift and shift to clouds, but we're seeing a workload by workload migration. That is, my you know, workday moves certain applications from in-house to third-party facilities. I move my CRM onto Salesforce, and all of a sudden, that's not on my assets anymore. Oh, you know what? My storage ends up in a cloud, and before you know it, the data center which you built for yourself and was CapEx upside down is now running at 20, 30 percent utilization and all of a sudden the PUEs are terrible and now they're OPEX upside down as well. So that's the second factor. And the third factor really is the ability to access those critical resources to put together what we believe will be a hybrid multi-cloud future. That is to say that a single-party, enterprise-owned data center does not have the access to network or software-defined networking, and we can talk a little bit more about evolution of network topologies and how people get to their critical resources. But if you don't have SDN in a standalone data center, that is yet another impetus. So you think about it, CapEx, OpEx, and ultimately access to critical applications, and that forces people to reconsider whether they should be owning their own data centers. Well put. Um, you know, and I think the, you know, when you think about the transaction itself, Raj, you talk about, I mean, not just what type of company or, or you know, because I think Jonathan did a good job of describing some of the challenges that those companies have, but maybe some of the industry verticals that, you know, you've seen or the panel has seen that has needed to pursue this. And I think, you know, the, the crowd would, the, the uh, people in the audience here would have a, probably a good flavor of that as well, because you're probably doing a lot of work in a lot of those facilities today. It might be, um, you know, retrofitting certain environments. It might be, um, you know, standardizing UPS systems or generators. But are there types of industry verticals that you've seen that would lean more on this strategy maybe than the other? Sure. And I think you definitely do have a wide array of industry verticals that have at some point chosen to build their own um, data centers. But if you look at it uh, where it's most prevalent and um, if there's a common theme of uh, it, I think um, financial services and sure. healthcare are two of the industries um, that you tend to see Sometimes the same asset come on sure. the market yeah. every couple of years, yeah. uh, but there's a common theme as to what are they trying to solve yep. with that. I think Jonathan put it very well when he's talking about it's a CapEx and OpEx uh, type um, driver, but there's usually, uh, we used to joke, and I'm not trying to be too cynical, but anytime you see a data center come on the market for a sale leaseback, there would only be two questions you needed to ask. And if the answer to one of them wasn't yes, then that was a deal I wouldn't have my team spend any more time on mm -hmm. because I knew the math couldn't work. Those mm -hmm. two questions were, is the company willing to take a write down? Sure. Are they willing to sign up for a 15 to 20 year lease at what I'd call above market rates? Sure. 
And if they weren't willing to do those, it was really tough to make yes. the math work, primarily because these are assets that were built somewhere between 15 and 30 uh, years ago, a lot of them, call it 20 years ago, that were 10 megawatt uh, type assets that were built for 200 million, give or take. So you're at $20 million per meg um, in terms of the build cost uh, that is th there. And they have only they built it out over time. So they've only depreciated about a third of it, um, over, even though it's been on the books for 15 years. So now you're looking at something where it's about, call it somewhere between 12 to 14 million is their book value mm -hmm. per meg that they're looking to offload this asset on. Well, if I can build my own data center for sure. six and a half to seven million uh, per meg or even 10 million per meg, then, how do I make that math work? Yep. Um, and so th that there's a common theme to it. Um, the places where I've seen it work really well um, is when there's something else aside from just the economics that's driving it. Jonathan, I think you're familiar. One of the last transactions I worked at when I was at Cyrus was the sale leaseback with the CME. Um, in Chicago, and that was, it was very strategic to, to be penetrating the financial services vertical. Um, it, they only took about a quarter of what was in place um, of the facility, so there was a lot of expansion room uh, where you could blend down your co costs, and they were willing to take a pretty large net book loss on yeah. the asset when they did that transaction. Um, so I think that's an example of one where it was a win-win uh, for both parties. You look at an asset right here in Dallas uh, that QTS uh, did with, on the Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, that was one that was very positive for both um, parties and has been very successful. So I think they're out there. Yeah. Uh, they're just uh, sometimes hard to come by. Yeah. yeah. If, if I could just jump in. So I agree with what Raj said. And, you know, I would almost argue that, you know, the window of opportunity, if you're an enterprise, you own a data center for sale leaseback is probably it's right now. Um, because if you if you go back even just a little bit ago, what Raj basically said was it was a financial transaction. Right. So we can all do math. And so, all right, it's this much I'm going to pay and this is my return. And does it make sense? And then what am I left with at the end? And, um, you know, that financial transaction alone really isn't enough for Cyrus One to go and pursue uh, sale leasebacks in a general sense. The second thing I'd say, though, is, and it's really important, and it really goes to the other point that Raj made, but maybe slightly different angle here, is that data centers are still real estate, right? In real estate, what matters most is location. And for us, it's not just the physical location that matters, but it's the logical location. Those of you who have heard me speak, have heard me talk about this all again and again, that is where does your data center live on the internet? And is the customer that's in that data center strong enough customer to make it an important location such that you get the right amount of network and it's enough of a magnet to bring in other customers? And, you know, again, a standalone enterprise data center in Minneapolis may have a decent economic return, but it probably isn't going to be the type of destination from a logical perspective on the internet to draw in other customers where the CME would be a tremendous logical location to bring in other customers and incremental density. You know, as we look forward over the next five years or 10, 
the way that services are consumed, and again, this really comes down to network topology, the question is, is how are people going to get to other resources, the cloud or otherwise? And while today I think the, an argument for sort of a edge of WAN on-ramp model, or we would argue that an SDN infrastructure is much more attractive in terms of the complexity and cost of attracting network. I still think the future out there is one where we see direct connections between compute and storage nodes in enterprise, call it private cloud facilities, so cross-campus connections. And in that world, right, um, the current set of enterprise data centers are very unlikely to make their way into inclusion into that topology. So. The financial opportunity may or may not be there, but the important locations piece is going to be the one uh, that ultimately determines whether a sale leaseback opportunity exists through the eyes of Cyrus One. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about the sale leaseback, um, you know, or putting, as Raj was mentioning, actually putting a, a data center on the market for this type of transaction is there has to be some realistic understanding by the user themselves of what the market really is, the value of that asset. Uh, and and in order for a transaction to actually work and it to make sense. But Navner, from your perspective, I mean, you have history looking at transactions like this. What do you see as the most, how are you looking at that transaction? What, what sticks out to you as, um, you know, reasons to pursue something like that from your perspective? We, we typically look at the client's needs. We basically ha are really always interested in what the client is trying to achieve. Are they trying to uh, are they trying to get out of this data center to to uh, to to go totally cloud? Are, are they just uh, tired of trying to own a, a, a facility and understanding? Most data centers that I know of, I know in this industry have owned many many data centers, by the way, much more than six, uh, even currently. Uh, that what most of the data center world is running at less than 50% capacity. This is the most underutilized hmm. asset class in real estate. That's why I'm in it. There's a huge opportunity. Everybody keeps building new ones, trying to chase five guys. Um, everybody's chasing the same people while the users are around the world, and they're not going totally cloud. And right, SDN is there, network is very important, but SDN exists everywhere. Fiber exists everywhere. You, it's, it's basically like in, in the airline world, it would be somebody came up with a new engine and all of a sudden, miraculously, Boeing and, and Airbus have very similar planes that have the same kind of performance. The gear guys design, design the, the boxes and everybody builds a business around them. This business is going to exist, cross-connects are going to be diminished, physical fiber still matters a lot, we're running out of some of it. It's, it's a really interesting world. So each, each transaction is really evaluated on itself, but at the end of the day, the question is, can you make it more efficient? How do we take this business and take it from 50% utilization to 80% utilization and share the wealth? This is what I'm concentrated on. Um, just doing a real estate lease for 15 years is really nice. A lot of people are chasing it. It's a pretty crowded space. Uh, I think there's a huge efficiency play in the data center world for somebody to operate these things efficiently. And, and that's really what, what we're looking at is when we look at a, at a sale leaseback is can we help this customer and can we make this asset more efficient by providing things we know how to do. Yeah.
And traditionally, when the when the users, when you all are working with users in that situation, do you find that you mentioned the the underutilization of these facilities? Do you find that 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 is that they just miscalculated what they would need and just made a mistake on the front end? Do you feel like it has more to do with a consolidation of you know it might be infrastructure in other markets that they're putting in one you know physical location or virtual location? Maybe it's a combination of all, but where do you where do you see most of these companies with their their biggest issue? It's it's the same thing. Uh, it's the same thing we described earlier. It's 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 all the multidisciplinary need. The, the IT guy doesn't know what he's going to need in five years. There's no way we can look back sure. five years and realize how the world is now. This all rumor where we are now. This seems like a great business because Microsoft leased a lot of space and everybody thinks they're going to get that deal. Um, Basically, that's our business. Somebody started a rumor, and it's it's really it's it's really great. You know, everybody thinks they're the next one to maybe get it. They're all buying land in Phoenix. Good luck. Uh, uh, truthfully, what what I see, what I it's the, the IT guy wants to run a space. When the when the real estate guy came into the room and said, "Hey, you got to tell me 15 years what you're going to need," he basically didn't know how to answer. Mm-hmm. And it took two years to try to figure it out. And at some point, he figured that he has to come up with an arm. He said, build me 10 megawatts because I have a mega and a half, and I'm sure it's going to grow. So he had no idea. When he bought it, he still has no idea what he's going to need. And if you ask somebody to sign a 10-year deal, they probably have no idea. Sure. That's why we get all these uh, schizophrenic needs from our customers these days, and especially the guy who deals with the with the hyperscales that, you know, they need two megawatts, no, they need 20, no, I think they need 15. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if you help people manage it and help people really understand, have, have, translate between the the capital and and the user, which the person who runs the application, that translation layer is essential. Yeah, I I got to I just, there's so much I disagree with. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's go. Uh, so I'm just going to, I'll just start with uh, the whole chasing the cloud and those customers and good luck because uh, the reality is, is that uh, there used to be this bell curve of demand out there for enterprise requirements. Um, somewhere right in the middle was maybe a meg to three megs and it was financial services and that was sort of the core market. And as a company with a couple hundred employees, and I think we're larger than Server Farm, but uh, with a couple hundred employees, it was impossible to prosecute all of these different customers that were sort of sitting, particularly at the sort of skew left um, out there. And what's happened is, is that as you rent applications, as you rent storage, as you rent compute, instead of going out and buying it, and it gets delivered over a piece of glass, which doesn't exist everywhere, Um, what you find is that the decisions that a company used to make, buy a piece of shrink wrap software and then buy a server to put that shrink wrap software on and then go rent some data center space to put that server which has the shrink wrap software into it, is that those decisions are no longer actually made by the enterprise, right? What they're doing by renting the storage, the application, the compute, is they're handing that decision off to somebody else. And that decision then that person who makes that decision is a demand aggregator. That is, they are going and capturing a massive part of the market that a company like Cyrus One could never go out and prosecute efficiently at all. And they're taking all of that demand and then they're trying to buy a big plot of space 
contiguous somewhere um, out there. And so what happens is, is over time, we will end up in an industry that is an oligopsony. That is, a handful of customers, and it's not five, but it's probably 18, maybe 20, will drive the vast majority of this industry. And so they will dictate pricing, they will dictate locations, they will dictate where network goes. And in fact, if you take a look, those guys are now building network at a rate from a capital perspective that surpasses all of telecom. That is, in 2017, hyperscalers invested more in network than telecom companies. And considering there may be 15 or 20 hyperscalers and there are 1,000 PTTs on the planet, the per company spending on a relative basis is completely lopsided. And so do these people build the roads to buildings that they don't care about or do they build it to locations that only matter to them? And so ultimately, those locations, those compute and storage nodes that may seem not important to some people will be an absolute sort of gravitational pull for other data center needs. And so major markets are growing at a bigger clip, not only in terms of percentages, but on an absolute megawatt basis. And that is simply because that is where the network density is, that's where the compute and storage nodes, and ultimately that's where the enterprises are gonna go. Raj, what was that coming you were gonna So, go, by the way, I love being able to play kind of Switzerland and agree with both of them <laughs> uh, on what they're saying. But uh, we were just talking about kind of how do you end up in this place? Why are these assets utilized 20%? And what are you going to do with it? Well, one of the reasons why it's there is just go to Abner's point as to you're having to sign up for a 15-year um, kind of demand forecast, which there's one thing the IT person has no idea what that forecast is. And what they know is in five years when they're going to be it's going to be determined whether they made the right decision or not. If he has too little capacity, he's definitely out of the job. Um, because then that's impacting the business directly. If he doesn't, if he may have over-provisioned a little bit, and little bit is a relative yeah. term. Uh, well, hey, it's a 15-year contract. I'm just five years into my ramp into the end state of where I need to be. So it's, if you look at some of the incentives that are put in place just by having to make that decision, uh, it l is pretty obvious why we're in this situation with all of these enterprise assets that may be 20 to 30% utilized. And that goes to the point that both Abner and Jonathan made as to what are we trying to solve for? We're trying to increase efficiency. There are a couple different ways to do it, but that is what these hyperscalers are trying to do by being demand aggregators of those components where it just doesn't make sense for them, for an enterprise user, to be able to have the crystal ball as to how their demand is going to change over time. And that works out nicely for operators um, where by having those demand aggregators, we can build in increments that allow us to bring down costs on our side and increase leasing velocity. I've got a couple more questions, then I want to open it up to the, uh, to the audience. But are there situations today that you would recommend uh, companies actually owning their own data center infrastructure themselves? Are there still situations that you all see today, maybe it's certain verticals or whatever it is, that you feel like, you know, given their needs and what they're trying to solve for, that could probably make sense? 
Um, I'll try to answer that. Uh, look, I, I guess I can imagine a scenario where it makes sense for a company to, to own uh, their own data center space. Um, maybe it's a particular application that serves the government or, or there's such scale that they're able to sort of reach efficiencies on their own. Um, but for the vast majority of, of companies that are looking at sort of the buy versus build decision, the real question is, is you know, what does the return on their capital look like outside of investing in a data center? And I suppose if you had a fairly low return um, with the capital that you were investing, that it might best be put into uh, data center assets being owned. Again, this is sort of outside of the some sort of very specific business need requiring ownership. Sure. Um, but for the vast majority of customers, um, their return on capital that they put out there will be, you know, equivalent or better than, than what they will get, and not what we will get, but what they will get by investing in a data center. And ultimately, and I think Raj was making this point, uh, we'll do a much better job at operating uh, that data center than they could do on their own. And Abner, from your perspective, you mentioned when we started, you felt like we were in the second inning of this industry, just a very young uh, point in the space. You know, what do you anticipate over the next three to five years related to these sale leaseback opportunities? Will be will, the, will you see more of them hit the market? Do you anticipate there will be less? What do you? How do you feel? Yeah, I think I think most companies know that uh, that, that owning data centers is inefficient for them. Um, their CFO knows, somebody knows. Um, if somebody still wants to operate its, his own data center within a company, he's probably getting pretty old, that person is. Sure. Um, so I'll be able to, to, to talk to them in the same level. Um, I think uh, cell leasebacks are going are gonna to continue. I think, uh, you know, um, the cloud, while very important and very uh, a lot is happening is not going to take over everything. It's just, just like, uh, you know, once there was a time where, the, where IBM supercomputers were going to take over everything. They didn't. Uh, there's always a new thing. There's going to be a new thing. Um, open compute was going to take over everything. It didn't. Everyone, you know, um, um, there's, there's, a, there's a new trend all the time, and it, it, I can promise you one thing. It's going to change. Mm -hmm. Um, and network is important. I don't think I ever said it's not important. You said it's everywhere, and you said SDN is everywhere, <laughs> but SDN is not in a single tenant enterprise data center. SDN is not in a single tenant enterprise data center because they don't have to do it because they don't have to get around your cross connects. But no, otherwise, that's, that's not true. SDN is not just about cross connecting. It's about applying a cloud-like demand and pricing model to network capabilities. Right, but if they're not in that data center, they're connected to the next Equinix guy where it is connected and can they apply it and use it there. Again, that's a really, it's, it's such a supervisual view of how network topology works mm -hmm. that, that I would welcome you as competition into the marketplace. Well, let's do this. Uh, why don't we, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to raise your hand. I think I'll get to you in just a minute. One of the things I think that... Uh, was pointed out on the panel that I thought was was a, a really good example of how the data center infrastructure um, sourcing has changed uh, is, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was 
one person with an IT problem, and that person would go out and solve it, and then there were challenges that that solution would present probably right then, but then also years down the road. And I think, Abner, you mentioned, uh, you know, several different groups, you know, real estate, IT, uh, the financial, the procurement side of things. It is now a much more important strategic decision, which is really driving a lot of uh, not just the sale leaseback discussion that we're having, but uh, the importance of, of network and uh, the actual, you know, physical locations and things like that. So it's a fascinating topic. Let's take a minute to answer some questions that are there. Stephen, I think we have one right there. And if you could just announce your name, that would be great, and, and maybe even company, too, and then what your question is. So I'll leave the company out. Hi, okay. my name is Jeff Park. Uh, I was just curious, uh, so for companies that are considering a sale leaseback, uh, what are your views as to the lower threshold of, of what uh, a larger company might get engaged with in terms of perhaps square footage or available power? You know, is a 3,000-foot is a data center really something that somebody's even going to get involved in, or is it 10,000 or 30,000 or so I think, I think your question is around the, the levels or threshold of when it makes sense to pursue a strategy like that of what's exactly. available. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. What would you all say? You start? Uh, yeah. Well, 3,000, definitely not. Uh, we could go there right away. Look, you know, I, I think uh, when you take a step back and you ask yourself why you do M&A, right? Like, why does a company like us do M&A? There are a handful of reasons. I'd say the number one reason would be that um, it would deliver us time to market and talent in a geography that we didn't have, right? That would be the number one reason. Uh, the number two reason could be that it's just an asset we have to own no matter what, like Equinix buying the Infomart. It's sort of critical to their strategy. And the third reason is, is sort of a financially attractive reason, and um, so it's accretive. Uh, and the reality is, is that um, even mildly accretive deals at very small scale um, become very cumbersome at some point. Um, and, you know, it unnecessarily increases the size of our stabilized base relative to our development opportunity. I'd say the net net for us when we evaluate a sale leaseback is the number one thing is it's got to be a good location on the Internet. And then it's got to be a financially attractive deal, and then it's going to have to have significant expansion capacity. That's, you know, 10, 20, 30 megawatts sort of line of sight. It doesn't have to have the building for all of that. It doesn't have to have all the power today, but it has to have the ability to expand to that over time. Um, otherwise, we don't get the efficiencies that we need or it doesn't turn into the sort of magnet that we need it to be over the long term. That's good. Yeah, I would echo that um, sentiment where there has to be some strategic value aside from just the financials of the single transaction. If there's a larger customer relationship that's there, um, then we may look at a 3,000 square foot uh, acquisition, but that's not the typical case. Um, I would think that you would be, for us, for a company our size, for it to make sense, you're probably looking at a minimum of 10 megs uh, day one uh, in terms of uh, size with something that has an avenue, whether it's existing shell or adjacent land, to grow to 20, 30, 40 plus megawatts to make it really um, interesting. Other questions? Yeah, hold on. Back here. Joe Suppers with Nodecom and uh, our alliance partner, the Altus Group. 
one of the things that we're seeing on the cell leaseback side is that cell leasebacks tend to have a tremendous impact on taxes. And some of the clients we're working with look at the tremendous assessed values that they're having on these properties. And there's no way to really roll it back. And the cell leaseback allows them that avenue where now it's changed hands and you can go and argue with the assessor. So are you seeing that at all? And secondly, one of the drivers for the sale leasebacks with companies who we're working with is the decision by the board to really pursue a renewable strategy. And there's no way for these companies to do it themselves because of the costs associated. So it'd be a whole lot easier to go with a Cyrus One or an Align that has that renewable strategy. Are you seeing that at all with clients that you're talking with? Um, so, uh all right. Uh, I think that Raj did a good job of addressing sort of the capital equation before and the write-offs. And, and I'm not sure a sale leaseback, and I'm not a tax expert, but I'm not sure a sale leaseback solves that, that um, CapEx and write-off equation. Um, it, more often than not, the company has to make the decision to, eat, to bite the bullet and take the write-off. And, and Raj made that point before. Um, separately, the renewable piece, uh, you know, I don't know if it applies specifically to sell leaseback, and, and I, I'll just say that renewable is, is very important, um, and it's increasingly important. Uh, it's important to me personally, and it's important to our organization. I know it's a big part of, of what Aligned does um, in, in their business as well. You know, today data centers consume 4 or 5% of global energy, and by 2025 it'll be north of 20%. And so there's not just a production and logistic issue around power, but there's going to be huge social questions. Um, people are going to have to start translating what they do with their cell phones into what it impacts on the environment uh, through sort of what goes on at the data center level. So um, green's important. I don't know if it's a particular driver for sale leaseback. I would just add that in terms of the whether people are motivated to do sale leasebacks because of uh, tax considerations uh, really depends on the locality where a lot of these assets, um, even though uh, a company may have put in $200 million, uh, the assessed value um, in data centers of where a lot of locations are still looking out on a per uh, square foot um, basis is a fraction of that. So it's kind of take it two different items where there's the assessed value, which is what you're paying taxes on, um, and then kind of what your cost basis is. And typically, not 100% of the case, but typically your cost basis is a significant premium to the assessed value. So you don't really see that being as much of a um, driver to reset that valuation because the assessed value is already a lot lower um, than what you would have otherwise. Sometimes it's the opposite consideration. We're having a sale at a value where it's not just what's been historically, actually bumps up uh, your total um, value because now the assessment company can go look, if, especially if it's a public transaction where that uh, price is out there where they uh, now can point to something as if that's what market is. And then you have to argue, well, that's, we have a lot of strategic reasons where you have to look at it differently, where that's not a third-party buyer, what we can sell it at. Uh, on that point, on your uh, sustainability um, point, I think sustainability is becoming a larger part of what um, folks are wanting to do. 
but um, I wouldn't uh, say it's really related uh, to the sale leaseback um, model, where fundamentally, what does a sale leaseback accomplish? You're taking a illiquid asset and turning it into cash. By doing that, then you can make, you have greater flexibility on what you choose to do with that cash, and sustainability may be for some companies one avenue. Uh, that they pursue. And let me ask one more question, and then we've got to wrap, wrap up. But Abner, from your standpoint, and I'd love the rest of the panel's thoughts as well, just how does uh, the trend here in the U.S. compare to other international markets, Europe, Asia? I mean, are you seeing, um, I mean, obviously these problems, you know, take place all over, but are you seeing maybe more of those opportunities here in the U.S., uh, in Europe? I mean, where do you feel like most of those are taking place today? I think it's about equal. I, I see the same. It, it's really the same players. A lot of the, a lot of the financial, the service companies, are trying to get out. Really trying to get uh, more flexible and get out of the ownership model, and get it more into uh, into the rental model. I, I'm seeing it being pretty much the same in in both continents. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I haven't seen a, a difference either. Um, Though just sort of thinking it through while sitting up here, I could see us being potentially more interested in situations in Europe sure. than here in the U.S., given the fact that there's less available land and the lead time for development mm -hmm. is so much longer. And so if there was an up-and-running data center that had capacity, hopefully some expansion sure. opportunity, but certainly the permitting and the power, um, it would be it would fall into the categories that Raj was laying out as more than just a financial transaction. So I could see it being more interesting in markets where the lead time was much longer, such as Europe. It may just be um, the type of transactions that I see based on the company where I currently am, where we are domestically focused right mm -hmm. now. Um, but I do see a greater volume in the U.S. than in Europe, but that's partly just based on kind of the number of assets that are there that's a potential base is just there's a lot more. So if you apply the same percentages, uh, there's going to be more opportunities to come in. But I do agree with Jonathan where um, it would be more interesting um, in markets that have longer lead times um, and Europe definitely uh, – kind of check some of those sure. boxes. Sure. Well, a uh, couple quick things, and then we'll, we'll uh, release everyone. First of all, uh, let's give a big round of applause to our speakers today. Uh, so, and I think in it, this is uh, just even through our discussion, what it shows you is that there's different perspectives in our space. And, uh, you know, this whole conference is going to be built around hearing uh, different angles at uh, some topics in our space today that are that are what we're focusing on and what's changing uh, the industry. So, um, thank you for your time. I'm sure they'll stick around for a little bit. If you did, if you did have a question that you wanted to ask, I'm sure you can come up here and find them. And other than that, thank you very much. Have a great day. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, David. You.